I will say this just quickly. I, this is the most welcoming church. It's it's unbelievable that you have you have fed us, especially. Luke, uh, Luke would have been eating ramen noodles and Chepoy RD if you hadn't been taking care of us while Melly wasn't here. And, um, and, and um, Stephen, I just had to thank you again, man. This is a leader of men. Um, had the pod drop yesterday. The guy, he brought out a force of men in 25 minutes or less. It was, stuff was in, all that. And I think this is the third time I've been introduced, so I'm, I'm, thank you. I'm welcome here. So it's so like... This is the most welcoming church I've ever been part of. So thank you. It's it's beautiful, uh, it, and it's an absolute delight to be with you. Um, but but the cool thing is is we're together here worshiping God. I mean, we get to celebrate. Here's what I was thinking about um, just coming here this morning. Like this is the Sunday where the most elite athletes in the world are going to be on full display. And obviously, some of that is in L.A. in the Super Bowl. Some of it's been going on, you know, all week or before in the Olympics. Like. These are people who have forged elite fitness and what we've been talking about with, with CrossFit. I mean, they, they have honed their bodies and their skills in such a way that they are performing at an elite level. We don't often think about this, although it'll be in our faces as well, but we also will see on display the, the most creative, visionary, elite um, marketing schemes and storytellers and musicians and all that that money can buy, right? I, I think somebody told me that this year it's $7 million for a 30-second ad. So literally you're going to see the best creativity and sometimes you'll go, really? That was worth $7 million? But you're going to see the best that people will put out there. And a couple things hit me as I think about this morning. Like, first of all, hear this. I don't, I don't want to be kind of like preachery to say this, but we get to worship the God that made all that. <laughs> we get to gather every week. It's not just about one Sunday. Every week and every day, we worship the God that created the human body to perform at a level like that. We worship the God who created the imagination to be able to dream up ways of telling and depicting the stories like they do. By the way, he also is the God who made all the ingredients for guacamole dip. Come on, right? <laughs> We worship this God. <laughs> but more than that, God doesn't just want us to sit back passively and worship him. God wants, and that's why we're doing this series on CrossFit, God wants to train us to forge in us elite lives that will be performing, not in some shallow way, but, but living out our lives in such a way that makes an impact on the world, not just a medal. Like the Bible literally says, some people have trained all their lives for something that will fade one day. And we are given the gift of a God who says, I want to forge your life and your soul in such a way that it will make an impact through the ages. What a glorious gift we have. So let's begin today by reading the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at for today's picture of Jesus' life of training. Now really, I'm only focusing on, believe it or not, two verses in this, but I want to give some context leading up to it. What you find is in Matthew 13, we're going to pick it up in verse 44, but really 51 and 52 is where I want to focus. And just understand, I'm going to give you a feel for what has been going on the whole chapter. In this whole chapter, Jesus is giving them seven different parables of the kingdom of God, what he calls the secrets, unveil, uh, unveiling the secrets of the kingdom of God, the mystery of life as God intended it to be. So let's pick it up with a feel for that and then zero in on the end. Matthew 13, 
uh, verse 44. This is the gospel of our Lord. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he had found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore, and then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, listen to this. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven. It's like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So what do you find when you go to the attic or your version of the attic? I'm convinced everybody somewhere in your house or your parents' house have some version of the attic, the, the store place for your extra stuff. For some, it is what mine was growing up and still where my mom lives today. There's an attic above the stairs. You can crawl up on the rickety little wooden stairs and get to the attic. For some, it's a basement. For some, it's a garage or an extra room. But there's some place, I suspect, in what you see as a home that is some kind of place that stores all your extra stuff. And you don't see it very often. But what do you find when you go to the attic and make a trip there? I remember it some years ago now, but I remember one of the last times I crawled up in the attic and, and the different things that I saw there. One was one of the best toys in the history of mankind, I just have to say. It's called Rock'em Sock'em Robots. I know it's not digital. I know it's old school. But I'm telling you, when I was a kid, we had this and I loved it. It like makes this great sound when you literally knock the head off of the guy that you're playing. It's so great. And I saw that and I saw old football games and all the toys that I had forgotten were there that I had as a kid. And then seriously, there was some sacred stuff there too. One trip when I was rummaging through things in the storehouse, I, I, I mean, in the storage place, I, I found things my father had written before he died. Old sermon notes. He was an engineer most of his life, but became a Christian later in life, became a minister, and, and some of his sermon notes that were there. And poems, like I didn't know my dad wrote poems. And it was interesting, I, I remember there were some things that I read right away and some things I didn't get to. And and a few years ago, I remember having a really horrible day. It was just a hard day. And I kid you not, I was thinking in my mind, man, this would be a great time just to hear what my father might say to me. And that was the day I read one of his poems. And it was like God was speaking to me through my dad's words that I had never heard before. You never know what kind of treasures that you might find when you make your way up into the family attic. And that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. He's saying, our Father God has given us a sacred, spiritual, family attic that we can climb into, and who knows what treasures you might find there. 
this sacred attic of scripture that we will find. Now, we know that's what we think of it. We know that's what we're supposed to think of the Bible, but can we be honest with each other and just ask this question? Why is it really that we keep reading this book? Why is it? I get that we read it and we kind of get it. Why do we keep on reading it week in and week out, day in and day out sometimes? Why do we do that? I'm going to be honest. You've read it before, at least major parts of it. You've heard the stories before often. So why keep reading it? Oh, I suspect one reason, it's a good enough reason in and of itself to say we're looking at how Jesus trained to live this extraordinary life he lived. And one of the ways he trained was by coming to the attic of scripture and going there and saturating himself in it. Remember, as we said a few weeks ago, please don't think of Jesus's relationship with scripture as a human being like, oh, he already knew it because he wrote it. No, he emptied himself. He emptied himself of the privileges of divinity. He's fully God, but he played the the human game. He lived fully as a human being. So he knew scripture the way that we know scripture because he practiced it and he trained for it. Remember, I told you last week, you can hack the series by looking at things Jesus did by habit or custom. One of the things, we'll talk more about this in future weeks, is he would gather, not on Sundays, the rhythm there was on Saturdays on this place called the synagogue. And hear me, A major part of the rhythm of synagogue life was to hear extended portions of Scripture read. They would read the entire Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, all the way through every year in synagogue gathering. And when they would gather and sing songs, it wasn't just songs they made up. They had some of those, I suspect. But the major way they worshipped in song, in chant, and in spoken word was the Psalms. And so week in and week out, he would be saturated in the story of Israel's God and he would pray Israel's prayers so that in the moment of truth that we talked about before, he's hanging on the cross. What is it that comes out of his mouth at the defining moment of his life? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't make that up in the moment. That was the Psalms, Psalm 22. And he didn't quote it because he wrote it. He quoted it because he practiced it and prayed it his entire life. Why do we keep reading this book? We could, we could say, it's enough to say, well, Jesus did. That's part of his training. But can we ask this question, why? Why keep coming back to this book? Why keep coming back to these words? Why keep coming back to these stories? I think we get a hint here at the beginning. Just a hint in something Jesus says there in verse 51. Here's the thing. God doesn't want us to have to guess about the most important things in our lives. God doesn't want us to have to guess about relationships and about decisions and direction of our life. The most important things that make us who we are. God says, I don't want you to have to go try to figure it out on your own. How do we see this? I love it in verse 51. Remember, Jesus has extensively taught here seven different parables. His language earlier on, unfolding the secrets of the kingdom of God. The mystery of what it means when God is running the show. And Jesus paints story after story after story. And what does he say in verse 51? Have you understood all of these things? Why is that a big deal that Jesus starts there? I love this. God cares about whether we get it or not. Like God really cares. 
Jesus wants to know he's not just teaching and he's got his sermon done and he checks off and moves on to the Super Bowl. He cares whether it connected, whether they took it in. Have you thought about this before? We worship a God who longs to be known. Didn't have to be that way. He could just stay a mystery. But we worship a God who reveals himself, who, who tells not one, but seven different stories to try to give a sense of the picture of the kingdom of God. <clears throat> then he says, do you get it? Do you understand it? He cares whether we take this in. He doesn't want us to have to guess. He doesn't want us to try to figure it out on the way. By the way, isn't it beautiful too that Jesus accepts their yes, right? What, what a great question. Again, seven different parables in the kingdom of God. Have you understood all of these things? And they say, yes, we have. Do you trust that? You've read the gospels before. Do you trust that? And Jesus says, okay, we'll go with that. Because they did understand some of it. And part of that little quick give and take is to say, oh, if you be careful, if you get this, then you become responsible for sharing it. If you grasp some of it, it's, it's now your privilege to share that with other people. And I think he's saying that with them. I think he's also saying to them, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. And I know quite well you don't understand all of it, but you don't have to because I'm not going anywhere. I want to be known. I want to be understood. And I'm going to walk with you all along the way. Why? Because Jesus says, I don't want you to have to guess about what matters most. One of my dearest friends uh, he, he told me many times, not, not kind of putting himself up in any way, but he, he just said, you know, from the earliest days of being a father, he had a nighttime ritual kind of with his children where he would say, almost in a question and answer format, he would have them speak out loud core things about who they are and about who God is every night before they go to bed. Core things, say it again. He would ask questions, who are you and who is God? And they would speak these words, why? Because he said, look, I know they're living in a world that's going to lie to them every day of their lives. By the way, some people are going to spend seven million bucks for 30 seconds to tell you you are not enough, you don't have enough, and you're not good enough. And he knows that's going to happen. So he said, I don't want my children to have to guess about the most important things. And your heavenly father doesn't either. So what is it? we will find when we climb into the attic of sacred scripture. One of the things I believe we'll see, Jesus says, we're going to experience a treasure of classic and contemporary wisdom for life. A treasure in the storehouse of classic things that maybe we remembered but we had forgotten over time and things that we'd never seen before. Jesus says, when, when you climb into this storehouse, not just as a teacher, he says, oh, it's great that you're teachers. I, I don't care about that as much. Every teacher, he says, who is a disciple, who is a student of the life of God, will find in the storehouse of Scripture treasures new and old. Isn't that beautiful? Let's think about this for a moment. Let's think about the classic that we find in Scripture. I think of the word tradition with a capital T. And if you're like me, sometimes I, I, I think that tradition gets a bad rap, doesn't it? We often talk about tradition as if it's a prison that holds us back from experiencing anything new. 
That's why I like, I can't remember the book, but there's one of the books in the um, ACU Press series uh, that talks about restoration history that our heritage is from. And one of, the, one of the books talks about the difference between tradition and traditionalism. And a lot of times when we are talking about tradition, I think we're actually meaning traditionalism. I, I wrote it down. Here's, here's the, the definition they have. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. <laughs> traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. But tradition is the living faith of the dead. What does he mean by that? Traditionalism is a prison. It says there's no life in us now because we can't experience anything fresh or new in God. The way it was done is the way it must always be done. Never changed, never surprised, never sense of a resurrection of Jesus that's fresh to do new things. That's traditionalism. The dead faith of the living. But tradition in its best sense of the word, that's the living faith that is passed on by those who have lived their full life and then say, here, this is what worked and this is what didn't. Isn't that glorious? Tradition says we don't have to figure it out as we go. We're given this sacred heritage of people who have lived the story of God and made good decisions and bad decisions all along the way. One of my favorite theologians and writers, Barbara Brown Taylor, says it this way. By keeping us rooted in our historical tradition. The Bible helps us know the difference between imagination and delusion. Pause there for a moment. The difference between imagination and delusion. Have you ever deluded yourself in any way? <laughs> Have you ever thought, man, this is the right way to go with my life. <laughs> this is the best choice, the best decision, the best relationship, the best situation. Have you ever been self-deluded? <laughs> One of the gifts of tradition is they've tried it all before. They've walked with this God before. And sometimes we bring what has come before into our present moment. And it's a gift. It's not a prison. Has the church ever been deluded? <laughs> and to think this is the right way to go. This is the right thing to do. We've got it all worked out. This is the way we're going to bring 20,000 people into our churches. Have we ever been deluded in churches? Well, what if we brought in voices across Christian history to weigh in. There is nothing we face. I know there's different technology and all that. There is nothing at the core that we face that has not been faced by someone following Jesus before. We might learn from those who've gone before. I say this all the time. Learn this from C.S. Lewis first. I trust more than anybody else, other than scripture, people who are already dead. <laughs> Can't disappoint you anymore. <laughs> Can't live a whole life and make a different decision right? C.S. Lewis says, for every one new book, you ought to read three old ones of people who are dead. So you're going to hear me quote dead people all the time. Why? Because there's wisdom there. She goes on to say this, look, the Bible helps us know the difference between imagination and delusion by tethering our own imaginations to that of the whole people of God. The Bible teaches us to imagine the God who was and is and who shall be. Tradition does not hold us back. It holds us close to the heart of God. Yes, the God who acted in the past, but the God who's here right now. And seeing how he showed up in the past might, might reveal to us how he's showing up today and where he is leading us in the future. Tradition is a glorious thing. And by the way, what a great place to be able to preach this. In the A&M community, do we have a few traditions here? 
We appreciate tradition. Why? Because we say we don't have to figure this out on our own. People have walked that way before. The path is paved. So let's walk on it. I think about this way. The way that this has played out for me, the tradition of Scripture in my own life. Literally, my life has been saved by a little place in Scripture, not very little place in Scripture, called Lament Psalms. We won't talk about it a lot here, but I'll talk about it more in the future. There are whole sections of the book of Psalms that teach you how to grieve and hurt and cry out to God when everything in the world is not the way it ought to be. And what I, I realized, I didn't have to learn how to hurt or grieve or fail alone. That road is well paved. Isn't it a gift? There is classic wisdom when we find our place in Scripture. And there is contemporary stuff too. Hear me. It, it's not a prison at all. It's a passageway to where God is going in the future. It opens up new possibilities when we come to this sacred place of Scripture. The Spirit of God who inspired the writing of Scripture also inspires the reading and living of it today. Oh, one of my favorite quotes, I give them to you all the time. Forgive me, but I love words used well. did my uh, master's thesis on this theologian, James McClendon. And listen to what he says here. Chunk of a quote, but it's powerful. Whenever the Bible speaks, its story not only supports and conserves, but challenges and corrects. Pause there. Have you ever had people say, oh, you Christians just, you never change, you never grow. You just think the same thing you've always thought. In fact, you read the Bible to justify what you already believe. And let's be honest, sometimes we do. But here's the crazy thing about Scripture. Sometimes it'll poke you and prod you and annoy you and wake you up to the fact that, oh, I have something else to say. And what I've always thought maybe isn't the truth. And that happens when I read Scripture. It happens when I read it. Isn't that beautiful? It challenges and corrects, and I love this line, sometimes flatly defeats the tales we tell ourselves about ourselves. <laughs> I love having this picture in my head of who I am. Sometimes it's too big, sometimes it's too low. And the Bible will come in and say, no, hold on, this is who you are. This is who you are. And I can ignore it. I can run away from it. I'll tell you, I'll just drop this in. It's not in the notes. One of the, one of the most faith-inducing things I ever did was teach Bible at Lubbock Christian and David Lipscomb University. And it wasn't the ministry students. It was the baseball players who were only there because they had a scholarship and they were forced to take a Bible class. And it was the people that didn't want to be there. And every year, wasn't everybody, I saw the light turn on because Jesus gets under your skin. And scripture does something to us. I love this. God's spirit. Oh, this is so beautiful. God's spirit who breathed upon the writers of scripture breathes also upon us. Sometimes harshly. Oh, not in a painful way, but waking us up. And this is so poetic. I love this. The consequence is that our stubborn wills are turned, our blind eyes opened, our arrhythmic hearts set beating in tempo again. Oh, that's good. This is not always immediate. It doesn't happen right away. Why do we keep reading it? It's not always immediate. And it's never without ugly exceptions. We've been to churches, won't change, won't grow, won't listen to anything God has to say. I've done it in my own life. Oh, but what a great last line. It happens often enough to confirm our faith in the author of the book. I dare you to read the Bible. I dare you to read the Bible and not be changed. It does something to us 
when the word of God on the written page becomes the word of God in our lives. And he can do it again and again. It's a treasure of classic and contemporary wisdom for life. Quickly, I just want to give a thought. You'll get another one here in a bit. A a potential way of going about it. You know, Jesus had a plan for reading Scripture. When he came and gathered, they were reading through the Torah. They memorized the Psalms. You couldn't be a rabbi and have that title without memorizing the entire Torah, the first five books, and all of the Psalms. That was a plan that he had. So I, I offer one to you. Put that screen up if you would. These bookmarks are out in the back. You're going to hear a lot more about this. Um, It's not the only way to do things, but I've talked a lot about discipleship. This is a major way that I do discipleship. You can fit it on the front of a bookmark. Four questions, some conversation pieces among people that are willing to sit down and, and, and commit to each other in our lives. But you can do it on your own. I started just an individual study. We've had people ask, do you have sermon note questions for groups that want to study the sermon? Yes, they're the same ones, and here it is. Four questions. Again, I dare you, open up Scripture. Who cares what I said? Open up Scripture. Let the Holy Spirit work through these four questions. First one, he is. Who is God? What a great question to ask. In this passage of Scripture, who do we see God reveal himself to be? Because the point of this is not to answer Bible trivia facts. It's to meet God. (laughs) Who is God? We are is the second question. Who are we? Who does it say we are? Sometimes it needs to lift us up because we're living in the dumps. Sometimes it needs to take us down a little bit. Who? Whoever's humbled himself needs to be exalted and vice versa, right? And I love the last two. We've done a lot of those sometimes. The last two, I will. What am I going to do this week? Is there something I'm going to do this week in light of what I just read? And the last one, I can. Is there someone I can share this with? It doesn't have to be book, chapter, and verse. Can I share this with somebody in my life? I remember the first time I came across this. We'll talk more about this later. But the first time I came across it, I started doing it. And I think one of the first stories I read was them. It said immediately they left their nets. And I remember writing down the I will. This week, God, I'm going, to, I'm going to try to not just obey you. I'm going to obey you promptly, quickly. If I sense you're leading me to do something, I'm going to try to jump right now to do it. And I remember the next day I went to lunch. And I was busy. had a bunch of things going on. had an agenda in my head. I was going to grab lunch to go, sit down in my office, and work. And I walked in the door. And one of my friends didn't know him very well. But one of my friends was there and invited me to sit down and eat with him. And I'm thinking, I don't have time today. It's not on my agenda today. I've got so much to do. But I sensed something inside of me say, you need to go be there. And it felt like God to me. And I thought, I told you, I told you I'd promptly do it. So doggone it, I guess I'm going to do it. And I sat down. And I don't remember what I shared, but I journaled it as I was going through my DBS thing here. And, and this is what I wrote. With tears in his eyes, he said, you don't know how much I needed to hear that. Because I just went to a funeral of a dear friend. And I didn't. I didn't have any idea he needed to hear what, I don't even know what I said, but God knew it. And what got me there was a simple plan to say, I'm going to ask a couple questions of scripture and sit down. Doesn't have to be your method. You're going to hear another one in a moment, but I offer it to you as one way to say, God, how does this come to life in my own life? How does the word of God become the word of God, right? Has it ever happened to you, by the way? Has ever happened where the written words on the page, the written word of God becomes the word of God? Has that happened to you before? Well, I know you've read it a thousand times. For some reason, you hear your heavenly father say, I'm saying this just for you. I remember I hadn't been in Texas very long. And the first time we moved down and 
There's a friend of mine that brought a young lady into my office, graduate student. She sat down, and what I quickly found out about her story is she had, don't need all the details, she had been abused in every possible way growing up. Finally, literally got free from the abusive family where she was, moved to a totally different state, and the first thing she did when she was talking to this friend is, I want to go in, and she sits down in my office, and I'll never forget it. She said, can you tell me about Jesus? In her family, she was not allowed to hear about Jesus. Doesn't surprise me. If you were enslaved, you don't want to hear about the man who will set you free. And I read this to her. Acts 2, verse 24. God raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. What blew me away, I said, you know, there's this guy, Jesus. Yeah, I've heard of him before. He died. They killed him. Yeah, I heard that part. But he didn't stay dead. <laughs> God raised him alive. Are you ready for this? In the United States of America, grew up her whole life. She didn't know Jesus was alive. Nobody ever told her that he was raised from the dead. And I said, listen, what I want you to know is this isn't just a cool story of something in the past. It means something for you because there's this whole in Christ thing. When you come and give your life to Christ, you're baptized into Christ, then here's the cool thing. No matter what happened at the beginning of your story, you get his ending. <laughs> he rewrites the ending of your story. So no matter how painful and what a mess it was growing up, the end of Jesus' story is an empty tomb and resurrection and life, and that becomes your story. And she gave her life to Jesus, and I baptized her, and I did the marriage for her and that young man who brought her in the door not terribly long after that. She's had children now who didn't have to grow up in a home like that. And none of that would have been possible if she didn't sit down and say, read me what it says in that book. Hoping that the God who wrote it might actually show up. Has it ever happened to you? You'll never forget it if it does. But I don't just want you to hear it from me. I was here one week, preached a sermon. And sweet Yana Westmoreland, standing right over there, coming out of her shoes, telling me about how she reads the Bible and keeps learning. She's never stopped being a student of the author of Scripture. And I'll never forget, she said, I love him so much. And uh, I said, everybody needs to hear this, not just me. And so I want you to look at the screens and hear Yana's story. I'm Yana Westmoreland, and I have a sweet, dear husband, John, and then two children that are now adults. We moved here back in the 80s, so we've, I've been a member here at A&M Church of Christ that long. As I grew up, I went to church camp. I did all the Bible classes. We were the Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night. If the church doors were open, we were there. I loved church, but I'd never gotten into really reading my Bible and studying the scripture on my own until my daughter, Katie, was about 15, and I walked by her room, and she was reading her Bible every day, and I just asked her what she was reading, and she printed off a daily Bible reading plan. 
And so that got me started, and I read that plan that she gave me. And then after that, I just looked into ways to be in the Word. I've now, since Katie that year, when she was 15, I'm on my 16th year of trying in some way to be in the Scripture and in the Word every day, unless I'm on vacation or just have a a lag time. And during that time, my sister sent me a note, a text, asking if I'd ever read the Bible backwards from Revelation to Genesis. And I'd never even heard of anyone doing that. So I took that that comment, that text, and I dated it and wrote it in my Bible, reading Revelations to Genesis. Well, time went by, and it took me seven years exactly from the day I got that seed planted in my brain to read the Bible backward to actually do it. And so I printed off a chronological reading plan. And instead of starting on January 1st, I started at the end of it and worked my way up chronologically how the, it, the plan was going to go. So I, so I actually started at Revelation 22, because that was the last book, and worked my way all the way back up to Genesis 1. And I never do a whole January to December It's just you get started in it and you use a plan and you go at God's pace because it's so exciting what God will tell you. And when I'm really in the Word, that's all I want to do is just hear what God and His Spirit wants to tell me and show me. And I ask for that and to surprise me and show me something new. So now what I do and what I've been doing is when I sit down to read Scripture and get into the Word with God and walk with Him in His garden and in His words, I'll write down the date, and then if He tells me anything, I start writing it. And uh, one way that I've kept up with it, which I think is pretty cool, is I have all these journals that I've kept. Well, in the margin of my Bible with a blue ink pen, I've written down the word journal going down vertically on the margin with that date. So when I'm studying in the Word, there may be one place in the margin I've got three or four times that I've been there before, and it's almost like an index that I can go to that date, and I can go back to that journal that I've written on the front of the journal that it's from here to here, and I can look at that. So I'm hoping someday with my children or my children's children or somebody, if they treasure this, they can follow that through my Bible. I love learning from different people and being in those Bible classes as a child and as an adult. But there's nothing like getting into the Word because it's alive and it's active and it's breathing and it cuts like a sword. But none of that is a harshness. It's so much love and it's so much fun. And I encourage everyone to just set their mind, even if you just pull up version and you use uh, something that they give you that's real easy because it'll let you go in and check off that you've done it. You can have a daily reminder as an email, any way you want it. Or just print out like Katie did for me, a Bible reading plan that you go by. And mine, this is the one I used and it's all wrinkled and, and folded. Now I kind of describe it that I uh, read from the beginning of the end to the beginning. So it's not really backwards. It's Revelation is the beginning of the end. So read it that way sometime if you ever want to. And if you ever need some encouragement, man, I'm all in. Just find me. Isn't that glorious? Yes. We hear it from Jesus. We hear it from one of our own. It's worth it. Climb up in the attic. 
dig around a little bit. I dare you. See if you don't discover priceless treasure that you forgot was there and some you'd never even seen before. Father God, we are so grateful. We don't worship a book. We worship the author of the book. And yet, oh, what an incredible gift this is. You trained yourself by it, Jesus, as a human. And you invite us to step into this beautiful, glorious, transformative experience with a living God. Father, whatever we do as a church, let us always be known as a people of the God of the book. For the glory of your name we pray.